Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. Let's open in prayer. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you while we're yet in our worst. You sent your son to die upon the cross for us. And we know that sacrifice of the cross was enough. It satisfied the wrath, your wrath against sin. Thank you that it was done once and it was a once for all sacrifice. And that because of the work of the cross, we can be washed as white as snow. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the grace that you've given. We look to you this morning to lead us, to speak to us, to speak through your word as I teach it, to speak through the, the conversations that we have here. Lord, we want to hear a word of knowledge as one speaks to another, or a word of wisdom. What we want to hear is you that you would be glorified, magnified in each and every life. So thank you for this morning. Thank you for the grace that is so sufficient. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to Hebrews chapter 10, the first 18 verses really is, it, it's pulled together, and it's like a, a final, last thought Again, the, the final, again, fact that the, the New Testament is greater than the Old Testament and that Christ's work of the cross was sufficient for all time. And Christ is simply superior in every way. Superior to the Old Covenant, everything that we saw. Superior to every other sacrifice. And it's contrasted to his perfect and permanent sacrifice and that's once and for all sacrifice. Here we see that Christ not only satisfied the law, but he surpassed it as well. Now, I'd like to talk about just really last week and the week before as, as we looked again at, at the tabernacle, how all these different elements of the tabernacle really magnified, really glorified Christ. In fact, I'm going to read before we talk about that a verse from John, the Gospel John, chapter 1, verse 14. And you can see that on the screen. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, and the glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, that word dwelt actually means a tent or a tabernacle. And what it's saying is God, when God became flesh, what we call the incarnation of Christ, Christ being love incarnate, he dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. And that's what we're going to talk about is that tabernacle we saw last week, that every element spoke of Jesus Christ. It was pictured at the beginning of the Levitical uh, priesthood and the sacrifices showing that everything was pointing to the Messiah would come. And yet, many didn't understand that. 
then I have to ask the question, I wonder how many things that we look and we read and we don't understand are yet to come. And yet we know the best is yet to come. And we know that he's coming very soon. When we saw again the tabernacle, we saw again the wall that was around the whole tabernacle. Seven and a half feet tall, if you remember, it was white. There were boards that were held up in the silver sockets. All those things spoke of Christ, the purity of Christ. The wood, though, spoke of the humanity. Set in silver sockets. Silver, that picture of redemption, that man is redeemed, redeemed through the blood of the Lamb. We saw the altar. The altar was so important that as they they came in, it was the first thing that they saw. A sacrifice would have to be given. And we saw the book of Leviticus where these things were given, and you see them also in, in, in Exodus and right through the whole Torah. They were all pictures and signs and types, as we talked about. And they were types of Christ. The altar and that, that burnt offering, which was a complete and total, was a picture of Christ, a total sacrifice. He gave himself totally, completely for you and me, and it was complete and it was sufficient, and there was not another need for another sacrifice. While the Levitical priesthood was day in and day out, month after month, year after year, until Christ came. Now, the worshiper, this is telling the worshiper how he is to approach God. There must be a sacrifice. We saw without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And we approach Christ, or we approach that throne of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. We're cloaked with it, in a sense. Washed in the blood of the Lamb. We sang a song, it's, white as snow and it's so important we'll talk about that in a little while again the Lord says come let us reason together though your sins are as scarlet you can be white as snow and this is the only way that you and I could ever find favor is believing and trusting in the work of Jesus Christ and he did it because he loved you and he loved me Well, the second thing the priest needed to do is there was a laver outside that tabernacle, if you remember, and they needed to wash before they went into the presence of God. And that becomes a picture again of being washed with the water of the word. It's so beautiful. Every little element. And I could describe more, but we went through some of those things already. Well, then as they approach again and they go through into the holy place, we saw a lampstand. The lampstand was lit and the priest needed to, to fuel it with the, the oil, the olive oil. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And it was a picture of Christ. And then there was the bread of presence. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And how we are to come and eat of him and partake of him. That is his word. So important as we see all of these different elements as we come in. And then there was the altar of incense that really reflected our prayers. And certainly it speaks of Christ. He's continually interceding for you and me continually at the right hand of the Father.
And then as you came into the, the Holy of Holies, which a priest, the high priest, would go in once a year, first make a sacrifice for himself and then for the people and go in. And he would minister to the Lord there again in the Holy of Holies. And there the Ark of Covenant was. The mercy seat on the top. The cherubim that, that touched the walls and reached out. And upon that golden lid where the cherubim were over the top of, this is where God said he would meet us. That's where the blood was shed. And we saw the importance of that. Just as all of these things on earth were shadows but they were only shadows, not, not the real substance. Christ is the substance. Just as the high priest sprinkled the blood from that sacrifice once a year, Christ carried his own blood and was put on the Ark of the Covenant in heaven. They were shadows. They were pictures. The substance, the real thing, reality we talked about is, is really in heaven. And this is what we're seeing is a, a culmination of these things, the importance and it, it is put on Christ, that Christ is enough. Now remember who he was speaking to. These, we'll call them Messianic believers. They were Jewish people who become believers, but they weren't fully trusting Christ completely. They wanted to hang on to their traditions. And even in the church today, we find different cultures hanging on to their traditions to their good luck and doing the same thing so i believe the exhortation today is to put those things those traditions aside because jesus christ himself is enough his sacrifice again think of this it was once and for all sacrifice it was sufficient for everything that ever needed to be done well, when we begin in verse 1 of our text, we see really the futility of the shadow for the law, since it was only a shadow of good things to come. See, the law itself was only a picture. It, it was only temporary. It was a time to equip and prepare the people to, to meet their Messiah, to receive them. And sadly... They, he came to his own, but they rejected him. If they would have received him, the millennial kingdom, every promise would have been fulfilled, but yet God knew what was going to happen. Yet God gave every opportunity for man to respond in faith. And just as you and I are saved by faith today, they were saved by faith, looking for the Messiah to come, trusting in the Messiah, not in the traditions, not in their work, and it's for you and me as we look back that the, the work of Christ is sufficient. And we can't add anything to it. It's by faith alone that we trust in Jesus Christ and that we're saved. Now the writer is making one more comparison again of the, the new and to the old priesthood. In doing so, he brings an end and, and focusing on this, this superiority of the sacrifice of Christ, and it, it's enough. And he said it again, because the Old Testament was simply a shadow. 
reminding us of the, the tabernacle, the Aaronic priesthood, all the offerings, all the ceremonies. They served as a, a figure, a picture of his sacrifice that when he would go to the cross, when he would die for all people. Well, look with me again in verse 1. And it was not the very form of things. Now, that word form is the same as we get image. It comes in the Greek where we get our word icon. It's a representation. It's, it's a likeness. See, these things were designed as types and shadows of, of something better to come. That something better is, is Christ himself. Now, the shadow could only reveal a, an outline or a representation. The shadow has no substance. In fact, when you get up and you, you see a, and you're standing in the light, you see a shadow, and, and it, it doesn't really show the true image. And that's what he was saying. All of these things did not show the true image of the Messiah, the promised one that was coming. It was just a, a shadow. It, there was nothing to it. So the shadow of this old covenant only represented what was to come. And what was to come was Christ himself. That's why we say it's all about Jesus. It's about trusting in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And that, that's so important. Now again in verse 1 it says, And it can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year after year, make perfect those who draw near. So, so these things, all they did was kind of temporary cover it. It was like a, a band-aid. So it was for certain that this Levitical priesthood with its, its, all of its priests and sacrifices could never result in, again, perfection. Now, under the law, sacrifices needed to be continually offered for sin. They could provide only temporary satisfaction. And over and over, the sacrifices needed to be made. But look with me in verse 2. It says, otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? See, if it was sufficient, they would cease to be offered at that time. Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have a consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a, a reminder of sins year by year. It's interesting when you stop and think about it, the, the word cease means really to come to an end. See, they needed to continually be done because it wasn't enough. See, if the priest and the law could have made anyone perfect, then the sacrifices would have ceased, is what he's saying. However, though, when you stop and think about it, there's this conscious of sins that remain. The guilt was still there because the sin had only it covered the sin. But it was never taken away. Think about that. We see something similar in the church when people come up week after week, not here, and they have to come to the altar each week, get saved. They're so aware of this consciousness of something they did 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And it's good to be sensitive to sin, but the scripture is very clear. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But this sin that he's talking about is this, this sin is that they're separated from God. 
that there's no salvation apart from him. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So this consciousness of sin, we don't need to come up to an altar every week and get saved again. You're saved and you're born again. And now we just need to be washed regularly in confessing our sins. Because we know those past sins, they're taken away and God will never remind you of those if you've truly been born again. Now look with me in verse 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away the sin. So he, he reminds us that it wasn't sufficient. The writer reiterates the importance of taking away sin. That our sins must be carried away. It's not enough just to cover our sins. And that's what he says in verse 4. The blood of bulls and goats could never cover. But the sin and guilt remained. Jesus is, is really a, a better sacrifice. He's a better sacrifice because he takes sin away. In fact, John the Baptist, seeing Jesus come after his baptism, he, he says, the next day, in John 1, 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John understood it. John caught it. This was what the Messiah would do, is take away our sins, that, that he'll never remember, never be held against us. See, when the sinner comes to Christ, his sin is finally, completely, forever removed. Never reminded of it, never held against us. Well, again, look with me, the, the faithfulness of the Son. It's there in verse 5, therefore, when he comes into this world, he says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. The writer here is quoting again from Psalm, Psalm 40, verses 6 and 8. And what he's doing is emphasizing Christ faithfulness in his sacrifice for sin now uh, this is a messianic psalm what it's pointing to is what we call that incarnation of christ when christ came the incarnation when god became flesh and dwelt among us grace and truth was revealed jesus christ is the grace of god now, recognizing the inherent weakness of the, the burnt offerings, the sin offerings, what God did was, he says, open up the ears of his beloved. Jesus Christ is his beloved son. If you remember John, when he baptized Jesus, the heavens opened, the Father said, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. Now, this simply means that the Savior's ears were open to hear. But not just to hear, to obey the Father's will. And it was an attitude of willingness. It was a readiness to, to be obedient. It was as if the scripture tells us to be ready in season, out of season, convenient time or unconvenient. Simply Jesus was ready. He was ready to go to the cross. Or like Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6. When he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he, and he heard the call of God, he says, send me, O God, a willingness 
a readiness at all, all times, no matter what those circumstances are. And this is how every believer is to be ready in season and out of season. We're to put our hand to the plow and not turn back. Jesus said, if anyone want to follow me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. This is what disciples do. This is the life that we live. This is why when Christians were first called Christians in Antioch, they were like Christ. They were living for God, living for his glory. Well, look with me in verse 6. In a whole burnt offering and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. And jump down to verse 8 in our text. After saying above sacrifices and offering and the whole burnt offerings and the sacrifices for sin, you have not desired nor have you taken pleasure in them, which was according to the law. Think about that. See, the word pleasure, it's interesting. It, it, it speaks of this sense of total and complete satisfaction. But in this case, it's, there was no satisfaction whenever there was a sacrifice, because it simply wasn't enough. That when we have pleasure, it, there's a satisfaction for us. But God says whenever these were done, there was no satisfaction. It only put a Band-Aid on it, only that we'd had to come again and again and again in the Old Testament. The only thing that would ever satisfy would be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and that's Jesus Christ. And it, the reason it didn't satisfy because simply because they were shadows. There was no real substance to it. And God's righteousness demands a sacrifice to cover our sins. Jesus Christ died for you and me while we're in our worst. And that's so important. And I don't even want to imagine the worst sin I've ever done. But this demonstrates the love and grace of Jesus Christ, what he did. He knew it. Hanging on the cross, three hours of darkness, every sin of every person in this world was being imputed to him, laid upon him. He knows your sin and my sin, and he'll never remind you of it. In fact, his death took all of those sins away when we simply believe and trust in him. See, as a result, his requirement of perfection was never satisfied until Christ had come. Christ fulfilled that shadow. Christ was the, the very substance that the shadow had pointed to. We'll look back in our text again. It's in verse 7. Then I said, Behold, I've come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. See, Jesus lived a perfect life. The Bible's very clear there. No, there's not one good. No, not one. But Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. It was in accordance to the word and the will of God. His life was complete, perfect fulfillment of the volume of the book concerning the Messiah. He fulfilled every one of those prophecies that led to the cross and the resurrection his heart was to do the will of the father it was set on accomplishing that will 
And if we want victory in our lives, we need to, to set our hearts too on accomplishing the will of God. Nevertheless, your will, not my will, Father. There needs to be more of him and less of ourselves. It's in Luke 24, 44 on the screen. Now he said to them, these are the words in which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus walking down that road to Emmaus, if you remember, after his resurrection, walking with two men, didn't recognize him. He was explaining all these things must be fulfilled. They all pointed to him. In fact, every page in the Bible speaks about Christ, a shadow, a picture, something about we can see the very character and nature of God, the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. And it all is fulfilled in Christ. He's everything that you and I could ever want even in the face of suffering. In the death, Jesus said in Luke twenty-two forty-two, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. See, Christ obeyed the will of God perfectly. Christ in his humanity didn't want to suffer, but if this was the will, if this was the only way, and it was the only way, He needed to go to the cross. It was his love for for his father. It was the love for you and me that held him on the cross. He endured it because he loves you with an everlasting love. Jesus was able to say, look with me in John 8, 29, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. That should be our prayer. Lord, help me, help you to do what's always pleasing to you. May my life bring glory and honor to you. May I be a blessing when I, when I walk into a business, when I walk into someone's house, that I bring your presence into that room. And this is really the heart of Jesus. May God help us to follow in Christ's example. Now, in verse 9, notice what it says. And he said, Behold, I come to do your will. And that should be for us, for every one of us, every believer to do the will of God. And then he takes away the first order to establish the second. That's to take away that, that old covenant. It was never sufficient. It was only a temporary It was something that would hold and establish and train and prepare until the Messiah came. There were, yes, rules and regulations, but I I love the way another brother said it once before. He says, these were all tender, loving commandments. They were set up as healthy boundaries because man is bent toward sin. What it's saying, again, that God never delighted in rituals or ceremonies in the Old Testament. God delighted. His delight, every case, was in his son, 
who, in obedience to the Father's will, paid again for the sin of the world. God always intended to take away the the sin, away the first. He had to take away the covenant to make room for the, the second, which was Christ. He had to, in the Levitical system, so Christ could set up this new system. Jeremiah pointed out that there would be a new covenant, a, a new testimony that would come. So God wanted, right from the very beginning, to wipe the slate clean on every man, that we would be white as snow. So the law was just a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, the, the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So the old covenant and the new covenant, and the old covenant is the New Testament, and everything was bringing us to this point that today, that we can have peace with God. We're no longer enemies. We know, again, that we can be washed as white as snow. Our sins are separated as far as the east is from the west, never held against us. We don't need to come, in a sense, to the altar every day. That we could simply speak whenever we sin, God, and confess our sins. He makes it very clear when we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all our righteousness and we can feel clean again. Jesus said, come all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you a rest. Well, that, that heavy laden is the burden of sin upon man. God wanted to take it away that we could walk with our heads up. Know that we're no longer a slave to sin. But we've become a slave to Righteousness. And we walk in righteousness, and we love to walk in, in righteousness. Now notice again how the author keeps driving this point home with one single offering on Calvary. Christ purchased salvation for whosoever will call upon his name. Whosoever will. Uh, that doesn't matter whether they're up in the the highest mountains and the lowest valleys and out in the middle of the desert. Whosoever call upon the name of the Lord, he will be or she will be saved. God's revealed himself in all creation to man based upon the response. And God made it evident, he says in Romans chapter 1, in the hearts of man, man knows there's a God. When, when man begins to draw, as God's drawing him and he begins to respond to God, and he cries out, God will save him. It doesn't matter what culture, what continent. It doesn't matter whether they're young or they're old. It doesn't matter what they've done in the past. God will set them free. God will forgive them, separate their sins as far as the east is from the west. Now it's interesting in verse 14, the word perfected. It can be a stumbling block for many because it, it doesn't mean a, a sinless perfection. Certainly, none of us will ever be perfect on this side of eternity. But the word simply means, again, completing or accomplishing, fulfilling. So, in the Greek, completing, accomplishing, and fulfilling. The, the word perfected is used interestingly in the, 
in the perfect tense. The idea, what I mean by that is this, it's a positionally perfect. It means it's, it's ongoing. Now, the, the focus is, although the work of sanctification is ongoing, that's daily grace. We're saved. And we're being saved each and every day by the work of God in our lives as we submit to him. We're reminded of that by Paul in Philippians 1.6. Paul saying to the, those in Philippi, for I'm confident this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. We can have that assurance. Everyone who has put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they're placed in Christ, have this assurance that one day the work will be done in you and me. We'll no longer be bent towards sin. And this is the grace of God working in the lives of each of us. Look with me again at verse 6 there. Notice this again will be till the day of Christ Jesus. Now what is that day of Christ Jesus? Many say that's the day of the Lord, but if you follow and study it through, it's not the day of the Lord, a time of judgment, a time of condemnation when God's judging the world. But this is a time that Christ comes. We call the rapture. We'll be caught up with him to be in the clouds. A time of judgment, yes, that we're brought to the reward seat, the Bema seat. He will reward you and me for being faithful. And he's the one that makes you and me faithful as we just surrender our lives day by day to him. Now, going back to our text, it says in verse 11, every priest stands daily ministering, offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away the sins. But he, having offered once a sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Again, we we get this picture, reiterating, going back, the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. There are those that believe that Christ died upon the cross, but they don't believe it's enough. They add good words. I I, got to be good. I got to do this. I got to do that. And what it's teaching is Christ's sacrifice was sufficient for every person that would trust in the Lord alone that would believe in him, call upon the name, and that they would make him the Lord of their lives. He will be the one that perfect, to complete them, because they become his workmanship. Now again, the writer takes the time to contrast the continuing work of this, this Old Testament priest with, again, the one sacrifice for sins for all time. This is why it had to bring it to an end, because Christ was sufficient. The work of the Old Testament priest was continued. It never, ever removed the sin. But Christ, with one sacrifice, fulfilled the law. He paid the sin debt. He removed it forever. Now notice again, the Old Testament priests, they stood daily ministering, offering time after time, the same sacrifices. I'm sure you love the John 19, 30, the passage as much as I do, and it's where Jesus was on the cross. It says, therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, 
he said, it is finished. He gave himself completely for you and me. We can have the peace, the assurance, the comfort, the hope knowing that he's coming for us one day. That when a person closes their eyes here, they know they're in the presence of God. Now the Levitical priesthood was constant. It was demanding work. But again, it's making it very clear that Jesus with one offering. Hebrews 1.3 says this, when he made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It was complete. Why would we want to trust in something else? Jesus did it once and once for all. Verse 13, waiting from that time onward until the enemies be made foot still under his feet. Well, here it's, it's talking about, again, there's going to be a time that every knee will bow to him. There's going to be a time that there's going to be a battle. And he's going to be victorious. See, Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father until he returns in this judgment. Judgment of what? The unbelieving world. In the book of Revelation, Christ is seen returning to earth as it's a mighty warrior with the armies of heaven following him. He's not presented as the Lamb of God. That was his first coming. But he will come in judgment. Look with me in Revelation 19, verse 11. At this time, the armies of the world will rise against the Son of God. Notice it's against the Son of God, and he will conquer every one of them. We're assured of that. That's what the Scripture says. And then back to Philippians 2, verse 10 and 11. Notice what it says. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Those who are in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, see, what we see is really the fulfillment of the Scripture. One by one, Jesus is fulfilling everything. He is enough. Verse 15 says this, and the Holy Spirit also testifies to us after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. Now this is the covenant, again, that Jeremiah 31, verses 33 and 34 talk about. He's using these verses to seal his argument, to shut their mouth. He's using their scripture. What they should have known and rested in and looked forward to that God was going to Provide. See, Jeremiah had clearly prophesied that day was coming. And when God would make this new covenant with his people, they should have been looking for it, excited about it. But they were hanging still under those traditions, those rituals. And we have to be careful today. We're not hanging on to traditions, rituals, and icons that were only, again, shadows. The substance, Christ. It's Christ that we want to hold on to. Well, let me read Jeremiah 31, and again, as I mentioned, 33 through 34. 
But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they will not teach again each man his neighbor, each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. See, this is what God says, you know, when he makes his covenant, he separates their sin. It's not that God's not omniscient. He knows all things, but he chooses not to remember. He chooses not to, to rub it in because he wants nothing to be between you and him. Now, what I like, again, in verse 16 of our text, it says, I will put my laws upon their heart, upon their mind, and I'll write them. And this is so important to understand. This is the covenant that he's talking about. See, what we're talking about is a relationship, a heart relationship, a circumcised heart that God circumcised, that we're born again. He writes on the tablets our heart. We, we do things not from the outward action, but we do it from the inward. We do it because God's changing us and God's transforming us. See, the law of God once written on stones, it was impossible to obey. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But again, remember, the gift of God is eternal life. See, under the new covenant, it becomes a matter of the the heart, the heart relationship. See, our relationship is with God. It's a heart relationship. Our, our spirit connects with him. The new covenant has to do with the heart. This is what he's saying. And Christianity, as we know it, really is a, an inner transformation. It's not keeping this set of rules. We don't obey the Ten Commandments because those are the Ten Commandments. We obey out of love because God has shown us this is right. He cleanses our heart. He washes our mind. He deprograms us from the sinfulness and reprograms us with the Word. When we take our Word, or His Word, I should say, and we hide it in our hearts because we don't want to sin against Him. When we read his word, more and more as you read it, you'll, you'll understand more and more. And you want this to be true, and you find yourself praying, God, I want to be like you. I want to be like Jesus. I don't want to be anger, full of anger and bitterness anymore. I want your love to overflow my life. And, and this is what he does, his heart relationship. In verse 17, it continues, and their sins... In their lawlessness, I will remember no more. See, again, he chooses not to remember it. Boy, that would be a great thing if you and I could not remember all of those who have hurt us, those who have lied about us, wronged us, stabbed us in the back. How freeing that is. How freeing it is we can walk through how we should forgive others as God has forgiven us. See, here's what we're seeing here is one of the, the blessed benefits of salvation. Again, this is not 
God having amnesia or being an absent-minded God. No, he, he knows all things, but he chooses to forget, chooses not to remember our sins anymore. In fact, let me read Colossians to you. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. When you were dead in your transgressions and your uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he has taken it away, taken it out of the way, and having nailed it to the cross. I love Micah chapter 7, verse 18 and 19, and why some of the Old Testament got it and some didn't. Micah, one of the prophets there, he said it, nailed it perfectly. He begins in verse 18, Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity passes over the rebellious acts of a remnant of his possession. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion upon us. He will tread our iniquities under his feet. Yes, you will cast all your sins into the depths of the sea. And then there's the follow-up with Psalm 103, verses 10 and 12. And he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed the transgressions from us. When a person comes to the Lord, and confesses his sin and need of a Savior, God separates our sins as far as the east is from the west. He writes on the tablets of our heart. He begins this heart transformation. See, it's for certain that our sins have been taken away. Notice what the Word says, speaking of Christ in Ephesians 1.7. The precious, powerful, pure, pardoning blood of Christ does not merely cover our sin, but he takes it away. Christ has taken every believer's sin away. He'll never remind you of it. We can have perfect peace, perfect assurance that one day we will see him face to face. Look at our final verse, verse 18. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there's no longer any offering for sin. See, what he's saying is under this new covenant, there's only one sacrifice. It was truly a once-for-all sacrifice. We really need to say just, thank you, God. Those words do not even express how important this is. When Jesus said it is finished, it was finished. For anyone that would come to him. For those who would trust Christ for their salvation. They can be totally forgiven. 
They can be washed as white as snow. They can be declared righteous in Christ. And nothing can ever be added to the work of Christ. Our salvation is it's simply through Jesus Christ, his perfect, eternal work. I want to finish with this last verse. It's always been one of my favorite. The Lord says in Isaiah 118, Come now and let us reason together says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they can be washed as white as snow. They are as red like crimson, but they will be like wool. This was an exhortation to those in the the Old Testament. Come to me, he's saying. We see in the New Testament, Jesus said, come all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. The exhortation that was to them is that exhortation is available to every person. Come, let us reason. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's calling you now. Come, let us reason. He wants you to confess your sin and need of him, and he wants to give you life, eternal life, abundant He wants you to have that assurance that you can be as white as snow. No matter what you've done. Though they would be, your sins would be, again, is is crimson, but you can be like wool. But until you come, you are suffering the consequences of rejecting him. You'll either receive him Or you'll reject him as your Lord and Savior. The choice is yours. Joshua said it again in the book of Joshua, for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Because he is enough. Is he enough for you? Father, thank you for the greatest gift that anyone could ever give. That is your son, Jesus Christ. The work of the cross to pay the debt that we could never pay. We thank you. We thank you for the conviction of sin when we sin. That we can confess. We can come to you. We can reason with you. And know that we can be washed as white as snow know that we could never ever save ourselves on our own power so you sent your son for us God I pray if anyone is listening and they've never received you that this would be the moment that they would be still and know your God they would allow you to speak to their hearts They would respond in the faith that you give them. And they know that they can be washed as white as snow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.